So, yeah, in, in the disciple class, uh, starting off here, we're going to look at uh, Luke 6.40, which is the pivotal verse. Um, there are a couple other verses that we will look at, obviously. They're, they're on this page 5. And uh, we start off talking about following Jesus because this is the way Jesus started everything. Jesus didn't have a Tupperware party. Uh, he, you know, he didn't call people together and, and uh, you know, start things in a different way, in some big stadium somewhere. He, he went to individuals. If, if you would have been around when Jesus was on the earth, he would have come to you. He would, he would have looked at you right in the eyes, and he would say, come, follow me. It was a personal invitation from the Messiah, from the Son of God, from God in the flesh. I mean, sometimes these days it's hard for us to properly appreciate that how personal the invitation is. You know, you hear somebody preach, you hear the good news, and, you, you know, your heart's responsive, but, but really the words are from Jesus. Jesus is saying, come follow me. You know, Jesus is the one saying, you know, don't harden your heart. When you hear the voice of the Lord today, you know, you, you need to be responsive. Have a responsive heart. Come follow me. But that come follow me is, is what? It's a command and it's grace simultaneously. Yeah. Follow me. The Messiah comes to you and looks at you with your stinky fish nets and stuff, and he says to you, come walk with me. You are being personally invited by the God of the universe to walk with him every day. To be in his presence every day. That's grace. But he says it as a command. <laughs> Come, follow me. And they do. They do. They do. And, and, and they don't hesitate. They don't negotiate. None of these guys negotiated. They knew, they knew something, something about this guy. And they responded to him right on the spot. And, and they actually left everything. They left everything. They give up their careers. How many people do you know who would give up their career because the God of the universe <laughs> comes and says, I want to walk with you today. I want to walk with you. I'm going to teach you some things. Yeah, here. Uh -huh. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there, there are people. It's kind, of, it's kind of the way that it happened with me. I mean, I, you, you, if you realize who this is, you go back to square one. You don't just pile him on top of a bunch of other stuff that you have going on because the old self is dead. The old self ends up being dead. You, you, you can't keep on trying to operate, you know, as a free agent and... And, then, and, and walk with him and learn from him because it's going gonna, it's gonna to be very difficult. Uh, it's going to be impossible. You, you end up, when you see God face to face, and he's come to you, and he has taken the form of a human being to reach out to you. You, you clear the board. You clear the board. And 
actually today it should be the same way. You should be willing to give up everything. You should. Some people aren't, but you should because He is the source of all good things. It's why He can promise in Matthew 6.33 that you know, if you put the kingdom, the reign of God first, He'll make sure you have what you need because He's capable of it. He is capable of giving you what you need even if you don't have the best career plan in the world. He can do it. He can do it. Um, or if you do have the best career, it makes no difference. Uh, what you have going on, it has a lot to do with who he is. So we see this right away. Um, we see this uh, before we, we get to the pivotal uh, Luke 640. We see that uh, one of the first things, uh, so, so what do you want to read Luke 5, 1 through 11? Uh, Luke 5, 1 through 11. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats, left there by the fishermen who were wa washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put, put, out, a little, put out a little from shore. Mm -hmm. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will lay down I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they taught such a large they, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And then they came and filled both boats so, so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knee and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and his for he and his companions were astonished at the catch of the fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats onto shore, left everything, and followed him. So, don't you find this fascinating that he would basically demonstrate to them that he could provide in a momentous way as they are coming to follow him. He, he actually, he's showing them. He's showing them. But, he, but then he says at the end of it, he says, they, they see, oh, he can actually help us catch more fish than we've ever caught before. He can do it. He can, he can properly provide for us. But he is now talking to us about fishing for men, not just little fishies. So Jesus has, it's like it's an object lesson. He, he proves to them that he has the power and capability to get them what they need. But he says, hey, no, I want you to fish for men. Yeah? He, it wasn't like pearls before the swine, though, because he's, you know, he spoke to Peter, and Peter had worked all night, and then, after he worked all night, then he uh, was there and listening to Jesus preach. Mm -hmm. And he went through the whole thing of the power, power along Jesus spoke. And they got to be dog-tired. Mm -hmm. And then Jesus saw, this is a person who's really receptive. Right. You know, he didn't right. come in to just walk up to you know, any Joe Schmo who was fishing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a great point, and you can kind of see that. I mean, yeah, Jesus knew people, 
he, can, he knew what was in their hearts, but uh, yeah, you, you could actually see this with, with several different people who came to him. The receptivity level was very high. They were very open. There, there was something in their heart and their mind where they were looking for the Messiah. You know, they, and they, they, they really got some kind of a key glimpse that this, you know, this is the Messiah. Um, there was something that was really registering. Yeah. Piggyback on what he said. He said, uh, but at my word, I will put it in. So it was because of Jesus' words mm-hmm. motivating him to do it. Had it not been Jesus, he probably wouldn't have, you know, thrown him back out there. But because Jesus was who he was, mm-hmm. and Simon recognized that authority, yes. he put it back out there. Right. So both those things are, are really great points. And, I, and it's the, the whole thing about Jesus teaching in an authoritative way, a very clear, powerful way that had authority, that even the Jewish leaders, you know, were not used to this, like, they kind of had a more consultative, you know, well, maybe it means this, maybe it means that. Maybe. And, and Jesus is saying, here it is. This is what this means. Um, so a whole set of things are, are registering. Um, yes? When he says, Lord, is that, you know, is he, uh, you know, you're always bringing up the Greek. Is that, is that a word just as like, you know, like the English use the word Lord as a matter of respect for a person who's, you know, it's kind of hard to say from the language because they didn't, you know, they didn't have small letters, big letters. Uh, it was just kurios. It was just kurios, but it was it was a term of um, deference. So he he, you know, it was definitely he he knew that Jesus was special. Um, you know, he didn't go around just calling everybody kudios. Uh, yeah, they, they, had, they had to not only have stature, but it, it, there, there was a reason why he called him kudios. Um, anyway, um, the, um, the next passage, Luke 5:27 through 32. Somebody else want to read that? Thanks. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Yeah, so this this also tells you something about the way Jesus is operating, you know. Uh, he, he is he's not looking for individuals or for groups of people who are perfect, who are going to help his cause. He's looking for hearts that are repentant. He's looking for hearts, like you were saying earlier, these people have motivation, they're interested, there's, op- there's openness. Uh, this receptivity translates into uh, repentant hearts. When you follow Jesus Christ, guess what? He's not looking for you to be impressive by yourself for other people. 
He's looking for you to be have enough of a repentant heart, enough of a soft heart, that he can actually help to mold you. He can shape you. He can actually turn you into the kind of person that, that God made you to be. See, and that's not possible for people who don't have a repentant heart. It's not possible. Um, so he's asking people and telling, telling people to follow him who uh, have some, some receptivity, some openness, and have repentant hearts. And he, he's actually addressing this even in this uh, teaching moment. Um, but he also is kind of trying to deal with some of their uh, socialization. You know, uh, we get kind of brainwashed a little bit about how to see people, how to treat people. And these guys, even though they were earnest, you know, they were seeing tax collectors, you know, all these people. And, and you know, some versions actually say, why are you eating with this scum? <laughs> Uh, these people are the dregs of the earth. You're, you are the Messiah. Why are you hanging out with these people? And he focuses on the, you know, not on their current state, but on the fact that they, they're sinners. They need God, and they could repent. They could be repent. Partly because from then on, that's what they're going to be thinking about when they're fishing for men. You can't be fishing for men if you don't know you're looking for people who have, who have sin in their lives and who have some kind of repentant heart. Um, so anyway, all of this, uh, all of who Jesus is and his approach, he starts early with his teaching, um, these first followers. And we need to learn the lessons, too. A couple of years ago, I read in uh, the Christian Chronicle about this uh, Church of Christ uh, preacher who uh, was having a, uh, a, a barroom ministry. He was just going to different bar, bars in the city, Memphis or something like that. And that's where he was. <laughs> the letters on that were hilarious. Yeah, well, yeah, you don't necessarily have to go to the bar, but you, you're going to find certain kind of people. You can predict some of how, uh, who you're going to find. Uh, same is true at truck stops and other kinds of places. You, know, you may run into some interesting characters, but you're going to run into some people who need God. You are. I mean, so you take your pick of these different places. Now, you also, you know, there's some, some risk factors. <laughs> um, yeah. But you, you're looking for uh, people who need God and who um, could be repentant in heart. Um, so, and that, that'll, that'll actually factor in a little bit when Demetrius is talking about seeking the lost. I mean, part of this is a mindset. You know, God is looking for us, he was looking for you. He was looking for you. You weren't looking for him. Really, God had to be looking for us before it made any sense at all. He's the initiator. Before he thought you up, that he would make you a certain way, he had a plan to save you. That's what the Apostle Paul says. Um, so, you know, God is way out in front on everything. And uh, we really need to be in a learning mode. And uh, so this... Uh, let, let's go to, to Luke chapter 6. Um, the, the emphasis of some of these first passages um, you know, have to do with leaving everything, having a totally uh, open heart, a repentant heart, um, in, in order for God to do what he needs to do in, in our lives. Now, 
you know, I know that this is a song. You know, we, we get into the end of, of, uh, of chapter 6, and it turns into a song um, about building your house on the rock. Um, but before the song, um, you know, building your house on the rock, I mean, he's, he's trying to help these people see that they need a certain kind of foundation for their lives. And before he gets there, what does he say to them? In Luke 6.40, he says, this is before he comes up on, on the rest of the discussion, he, he says, students are not greater than their teacher, for the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. This is the whole point. Jesus' whole point, uh, you know, sometimes I think is disregarded uh, these days by, by Christians, uh, there, there are Christians who feel like they deserve, they're entitled to more than what Jesus, the Messiah, had. They, they deserve more, better, than he had. I mean, and it's easy to do. It's easy to do. He had nothing. He had nothing. Um, and and, and, he, and he came that way for a reason. He owned nothing. He had nothing. And yet, he saved the world. Uh, he, he's making a point even with that. But he's making sure that if you're going to follow him, you need to realize that you are in a learning mode, and he is above you. This is why it's called the reign of Christ. You know, if he's king, if he has been made king over all things, he has authority over all things, which the New Testament says. If he is, has authority over all things, then, then those of us who are following him, we get to be in his presence, but we look up to him. He is teaching us. We're not in a position to question him all day long. Can you imagine how that would have gone for the first disciples if they'd have spent every day questioning his teaching? I mean, I'm, well, they, they did have questions, but, but I mean, if that was all that was accomplished, I mean, he, he helped them to do some things, and he taught some things that were stark that really kind of cut to the quick. Some of the, sometimes they didn't know what to do with it. It's like, how is this possible? But he's telling them the truth. He's telling them the truth. Um, so anyway, students are, are not greater than their teacher. Uh, the student who is fully trained, now underline this part, is fully trained, will become like the teacher. This is Jesus' expectation. You know how many Christians have told me, uh, there's no way I, I can become like Jesus. It's almost like, why should I even try? He was perfect. I can't become like Jesus. I'm like, really? Are you sure? Because Jesus is expecting it. You become like your teacher. If you're learning from your teacher, over time, you become like your teacher. It's true with them. Any, any mentor, any you know, master, teacher type situation, you learn certain things from somebody who is totally influential in your life, and you become like them. That's the way it works. And, and Jesus has an expectation for that. So, you know, all the Christians who are just coming, sitting on a pew on Sundays and not really learning from Jesus, 
not really putting him first and above them, not looking to him at every decision point, you know, it's a problem because that's his perspective in the very beginning. Luke 640 is pretty early on. And, and he is saying this before he gets to the thing of you building your life on him. How are you going to build your life on Jesus if you're not learning from him or if you think that you're smarter than he is? How are you going to do it? You're second-guessing Jesus all the time. How are you going to get a solid foundation? It's not going to happen. You're just going to be chasing your tail your whole life. So, yeah, Jesus' approach is very, very interesting, but it's, it's totally appropriate in terms of who he is. Um, so this also, yeah, go ahead. So basically we're going to be taking on his characteristics. Yes. Yes, and part of it is modeling because you're spending time, you know, in the scripture, hearing, really seeing in your mind how he is operating, what he's saying, how he says it, in all these different situations. But then, too, John 14, he has the Father send the Holy Spirit. And, and Paul actually says the Spirit of Christ in one place. The, the Spirit of Christ is in all of his followers. Well, everybody who's been baptized into Christ, they have his Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit, his, part of his role is to make us holy. Make us holy, like Jesus, to form in us the character of Christ. And that's what Galatians 5 is all about. That's what Colossians is all about. Uh, it's the Holy Spirit of God is given to the followers of Jesus so that we can, with his help, by his power, Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, by his glorious power, we're able to have all of what we need to endure, to have patience, to have joy, to have thankfulness. Everything that a human being needs, the Holy Spirit can provide. Oh, man. It really tears Satan's down. Side, that yeah. type of thing. When you fall and you take on them characteristics. Right. It tears it down. And, right. uh, you know, you don't want to help people. You just, right. Uh, right, yeah. Bad bad company corrupts uh, music. Corrupts morals. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so you want to hang out with, with Jesus every day, learning from him in a very deliberate way. And we'll look at some of the other specific things that you and I are supposed to learn from him. Um and obviously, if you look at the Galatians uh, chapter 5, you, you actually see, uh, you know, Paul is doing what Jesus does in his teaching. He's saying, you don't want this in your life. He makes a list. But you do want this in your life. And what he's saying the Holy Spirit brings is the character of God. It's, it's the very character of Christ. It's, it's, it's what Christ shows us in his life on earth. He shows us who the Father is. Everything he's talking about is a reference to the character of the Father, who he is, what he's about. And he shows us that in a way that we can begin to comprehend. He is, as, as Paul says in Colossians, he says in verse 15 of chapter 1, he says, he is the visible image of the invisible God. He makes it clear to us who God is how God operates. And that is a, that's something that's supposed to really 
change us, influence us completely, shape our thinking completely. Uh, I've been in you know, situations in which you know, I, I look back and then say, you know, I could have handled that a lot better. And, uh, yeah, you know, and then uh, when I anticipate being in, in situations, then I will pray you know, that I will be guided by the Spirit to right, right. You know, act in a certain way. Right. And so then I'm thinking of that, well, do I have to ask for it? No, but well, if you do ask for it, then it shows that you're, you know, that you're in step with the spirit. And then, the, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of like it raises a question, like, you know, works or or or, or not works. You know, so you know, so you have to, you know, just actually want to be with God and God, you know, in God's program. Then prayer is showing God, you know, hey, we just. Right. Reinforce all that. Right. And, and he'll let you wander off if you want to. Right, but you see that in, in all of Paul's letters. You know, he starts off talking about, I'm, I'm praying for you. We're praying for you. We're praying for you to be strengthened, you know, spiritually. Uh, he's not just praying for people who are sick. He's praying for people to be strengthened spiritually uh, with the power of God, uh, to, to come to know God more completely, to know the will of God more completely. That's the stuff he's praying for. And he, he says to the folks in Colossians, he says it multiple times, praying for you, praying for you, thanking God for you, on and on, all the way through. Um, the asking, praying thing is just a reflection of the close relationship. That, that kind of communication is what's supposed to happen between the Father and a Son. That's what's supposed to happen. That's John 17. Jesus is talking to the Father in a very, very heartfelt son-to-father way. And it has to do with oneness, closeness. Um, that's what he wants for us. He doesn't want something else for you and I. Oh, well, I hope you get, you know, I hope you survive. No, that's, not, that's nowhere in the New Testament. I hope you survive. Uh, he, he's tr he has made a way for you and I to become strong spiritually, to be become not that person that died in baptism, but to become uh, somebody who is much more like Jesus Christ, so that when Jesus comes back, you're actually ready. You're really ready. Um, he has been training you, and you are ready for him to come back. Um, that is the, that's what's uh, really drawn out as a picture in the New Testament. So, um, so anyway, this, uh, you know, this last part of chapter 6, Luke says, um, uh, So why do you keep calling me Lord, 46, why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? Um, you know, sometimes people use this to like try to, you know, beat down somebody else. Man, you, you know, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> so, you know, he's not going to recognize you. He's saying this to everybody. He's saying, don't, don't be calling me Lord, Curios, when we have a capital L, Curios, don't be calling me Lord, Lord of your life, when I'm not actively the Lord of your life. I'm not reigning in your heart and your mind. You're doing your own thing. You're thinking your own thoughts. You're doing what you want to do. How does that make me Lord of your life? So it's a much deeper question, much more fundamental individual question. 
And he's wanting to make sure that even these first followers realize. He just got in talking about good, a good tree can't produce bad fruit. You know, when you're baptized into Christ, he makes you into a new tree. You're a new person. And the Holy Spirit is going to produce beautiful fruit. You've been made good by God, reconciled. That's, that's Colossians 1 to also. You've been reconciled to him. And now, guess what? The Apostle Paul says you and I are holy and blameless in Christ. And there are a lot of people walking around saying, well, we're all sinners, we're all sinners. Hold on a second. You've got to pay attention to what the apostles are teaching here. Apostle Paul says, because of what Christ has done, we're covered with his righteousness. We've been reconciled to the Father. He says to, the, to Romans in, in chapter 8, he says, there's no more condemnation. The little struggle that he's talking about in, in 7, it gets dealt with. It gets dealt with in 8. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the old person is dead. That's Romans 6. The old person is dead. That person who was filled with sin, who was thinking sinful things constantly, that person is dead. And now Christ is living in you. So you and I, all we have to do is to learn how to to submit more fully, voluntarily, to actually want to do the will of God more, to cooperate with his Holy Spirit because his Holy Spirit is making us holy. It's a deposit. You, you, can't, you can't follow Jesus Christ, be in Jesus Christ, not have his spirit. Paul talks to the Romans about this too. If you're, if you're really belonging to Jesus Christ, you have his spirit in you. And if you have his spirit in you, guess what happens at Judgment Day? God knows his own spirit. He recognizes his own spirit. If you have not totally quenched the spirit of God, he's, he's still operating inside of you, you have tried to cooperate with him, that's living faithful until death. You have lived faithfully until death. Even if you made, you know, uh, five million more mistakes. You're now in Christ. You're in Christ and that's also explained in Colossians chapter 1. You've been rescued. You're not in darkness anymore. Jesus Christ has rescued you, and he has transferred you. You ever been transferred before? You're not in the same place, man. You've been moved. You're in a new place. You're in the territory of God. And you now have the Spirit of God in you. So you're, you're not a sinner anymore. Just like John says, you're not practicing sin anymore. Now, you might sin, but you're not practicing sin anymore. You're practicing the truth. You're trying to put the truth of God into practice. And that's what building your house on the rock is about. You're building your life on every word that Jesus says. And that's, that's John 15. Every, every word. You're building, you're building your life. You're, you're, you're getting everything you need from Christ. He's the vine. All the nutrients come from him spiritually. Everything we need spiritually comes from him. So that's why we spend so much time with him during the day. That's why we're talking to the Father all the way through the day. 
We're thanking him for the son, for making that way for us, for teaching us these specific things. I, I actually need to think about my, the fruit of my life. I need to think about the way I'm building my life. I can't just live my life willy-nilly and think everything's going to turn out fine. I've got, I actually have to do it in a certain way, and Jesus Christ is telling me. He's telling me because of who he is. It's fantastic. Um, so the key points uh, for today, if you, if you look with me real quickly on page 5, um, we could talk more about this. We probably will. Leaving everything, you know, Dan Hager's favorite thing was the, the story of the rich young ruler uh, because it's so poignant. But it's, it's, it's talked about multiple times, uh, leave, leaving everything. Uh, okay, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it this way. He says, uh, um, the first step um, in terms of discipleship places the disciple in the situation where faith is possible. You have to take one step before faith is possible. You, th- that step, this is why Jesus is the author of our faith and the perfecter of our faith. That one step, you're responding to who Jesus is. You have to take that step for faith to, to appear, to, to, to arrive. That is faith. If he refuses to follow and, and, and stays behind, um, he does not learn how to believe. Your faith is only built, your life is only built by following Jesus Christ and his example, all of his teachings, holding to his words, building your life on his words, on his example. Then your life really goes solid. So you leave leave everything uh, for him. You learn from him directly. He teaches us how to live the life that we're created uh, for this loving relationship with God, uh, and, and we see that all through the New Testament, and especially the, the Gospels. And um, there are specific things uh, involved in this, and the first thing he talks about, I mentioned it earlier, was seeking the kingdom above everything else. Um, when you find the one who made life, and he finds you, and you respond to his call to follow, uh, what you're doing is you're not only leaving everything, you're seeking him first, his righteousness, the righteousness that can save you. You're seeking him above all things. And when you do that, you do have to let go of some stuff because he's now first. You, you can't try to hedge and hold on to 13 things and juggle plates and stuff. You have to fully embrace the one who made you and the one who is saving you. And then a bunch of stuff starts to line up inside of you. You actually start, the way you think, who you are, starts to kind of align. It aligns. And the Word of God does this. The Word of God actually helps you to integrate in a a oneness sort of way uh, with Him. And, And a lot of things start lining up in your life, in your thinking, in relationships. A lot of stuff starts lining up. Uh, when you seek first the reign of God, you're devoting your life to him. So you spend your days, you spend your days <laughs> with him, learning from him, if you're going to devote your life to him. 
And, and, uh, and in the process, you're denying yourself. All these things tie together. You're denying yourself because that old person is dead and you actually are going to flourish. The, the more, it's, it's a disciplined endeavor, mathetes, the word is on the top part of the page five there, mathetes, it is a disciplined endeavor so that in the end, you and I were giving real effort to following Jesus who is the way, listening to his truth that sets us free, and actually trying to do what he did, doing some of the things that he did. Um, and, and in the process, thinking more and more uh, like Jesus. Um, nothing is more important than our relationship with him, so we, we actually learn a lot by denying ourselves. Um, you know the, the, that until somebody denies themselves in some way, um, they can never even begin to mature as a human being. You can't, you can't even become a mature human being until you deny yourself in certain ways, until you put somebody else before you. You choose to serve somebody else. You choose to put somebody above you. And in this case, the one who made you, this is the most likely candidate, the person who thought everything up, you know, him. You, you, he is above you. <laughs> He's above everybody. And so you operate in such a way that he is the focus of your life every day. That's Matthew 5, 8. Matthew 5, 8. He's the focus every day. You have a heart that is repentant, a heart that is looking for the Lord, a heart that wants to follow the Lord. Your, your, your heart is going to become more and more uh, unmixed, more focused. The word there is kadaroi, uh, kadaroi uh, in kardia. You become less mixed. You have less and less of the world in your heart and your mind. More and more and more of God and the spiritual word of God. And it dominates. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Thanks, man. Thank you. And um, so um, we'll, we'll end up there. Um, for next time, uh, the place there on 6 uh, for, for some notes. But there's also an application point on, on page 7. Uh, what specific ways are you uh, following um, Jesus today? How are you going to stay focused on Jesus today? We need to take it one day at a time and really get our closeness established with Jesus and really be hungry for what he has to teach us. Um, and then our, our thought process starts changing. Our living starts to change. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you so much for calling us to follow you, to learn from you each day, uh, to be mission on mission with you every day, Father. Thank you for um, your patience with us, your wisdom in the way you've gone about this, the beauty of your whole plan. Father, we thank you, and um, we ask that you help us to give ourselves more fully uh, to you for your eternal purpose and uh, for us to follow your son closely each day as he is leading us to glory with you. And I pray this in his name. Amen.